Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Adam Green and welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show, a brand new podcast with you throughout the 2018 Tour de France. Well, coming up today, we look back over the first two days of racing. We discuss Chris Froome being cleared by the UCI in the Salbutamol case. And we'll look at all the key runners and riders in this year's tour. But without further ado, let's introduce you to the two people sat alongside me. We have Bradley Wiggins. Hello, Brad. Hello. And we have Molly Weaver. Hello, Molly. How are you both? All right, good, thank you. Good, thank you. What's it like to have a giant picture of your face behind you, Brad? It's great, you know, know, being quite, yes, obviously it's all about me. So, you know, it's (laughs) nice to have my big boat race behind us. Um, Tour de France, is it the biggest sporting event in the world at the moment or is, is the World Cup sort of overshadowing oh, it slightly? It's quite hard at the moment, isn't it? But with the football on as well and Wimbledon and Silverstone today, I think it's... Uh, obviously, the World Cup's dominating everyone at the moment and the whole country's gone a bit football mad. Even I bought an England shirt yesterday. Did you? First time since 1990 I bought one. So I've definitely bought into the, the fact that we're going to win it by the looks of things. <laughs> Um, but the tour has started this weekend and of course it is a massive event so lots going on for sports fans yeah which is great because it it means they can sweep Brexit under the carpet because everyone's forgot about politics (laughs) and what's going on over there so okay well we're going to talk about Chris Froome shortly but let's kick things off by having a look back on the two stages the first two stages from the Vendee on Saturday the tour got off to a smooth enough start but after the break was caught with 10k to go Froome and Port were caught up in crashes Quintana broke both his wheels before Fernando Gavaria of Quickstep won on his tour debut and the sprints of Adam Lawrence here we go then Gavinia on the left hand side just waiting behind Max Ricci and ready to go Sagan is there Christoph as well Candice at the moment is out of it Grunewigen on the left hand side but here comes I know we spoke on the phone, Brad, on Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. and we both said, oh, not much happening. I think we hung up the phone, and within 10 minutes, it yeah. had all gone on, hadn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the nature of the first few stages of the tour. It's always, you know, the last 30 or 40k, you know, everyone wants to be in the front, and there's only so much space on the road, and the destruction behind that first 10, 15, 20 bodies, it's just chaotic. And I think I described to you earlier that it's like a washing machine. You know, it's just guys are coming up the outside constantly, coming back through the middle as other guys, and it's that constant rotation. And in doing that, obviously there's a lot of crashes in that, and one team's trying to ride on the front. You get two teams either side of that one team trying to ride that are trying to keep their leaders up there. And that just builds and builds and builds to the point where something has to give and there's a crash we saw Chris Froome crash yesterday and it's just it's crazy I mean it really is and at times you know like you said to me you know was he too far back I don't think he was actually that far back Chris when he crashed but it it just the crashes start happening closer and closer to the front now and I think it's uh it's inevitable we saw another one today and I'm sure it'll be the same as as the rest of the first week goes on yeah we'll we'll talk stage two in a moment Molly is it something you think for for people looking in on the sport they see what happens on day one and all the drama packed into those last 10k is it it, we don't want people falling off but is it kind of good for the sport because everyone's into it straight away in stage one I think in some ways for the viewer I guess it is more exciting but I think actually it's it's the case of all sprint stages especially for the GC guys, mm. I think it's the same in, in the women's peloton as well. If you have a GC ride, you always think, oh, actually, the sprint days are sometimes the worst days because it's probably where most happens because you've got two lots of teams fighting for the for the wheels. You've got people fighting for position and, yes, they thought about crosswinds and then in the end that wasn't what made the difference. It was crashes, but I think it could have been exciting either way. <laughs> when you're into the final kilometres and you're into single figures, can you switch off when you're GC contended? Can you go on oh, nearly there? Is that well, is it a mental blip from th- room? No, I think you just you, you. The only real sort of safety point is that three k to go, where have you if you have a puncture or a crash, you're gonna you're gonna get given the same time as the winner. But if there isn't a crash and you don't puncture and there is a small split, 
i.e. two seconds, three seconds, because obviously they take the time from the first person who crosses the line. So that that could be 15 seconds in the last couple of cases. You're still conscious of that. So it's, you're just constantly weighing up the risk of trying to move up and stay in the front with not wanting to lose five, six, seven seconds. So it's, And that is the nature of, of, of the first week of the Tour de France. I don't think it's ever been any different. And... Um, it's where most of the drama happens in terms of crashes and this and we saw we saw yesterday with Chris, he's almost a minute down already um, after two days of racing. Which you'd say in the Tour de France, obviously the Giro, it wasn't it meant nothing because there was so much action in the last week. But in the Tour, you know that that could be costly come Paris. Uh, you mentioned crashes in the last three k stage two, uh, Sunday mm. stage. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Sagan pipping uh, Cobrelli to the line. Oh my goodness, DeMar goes for it, and it's uh, Greifel who's on his case, but it's Sagan that slots in as well. Sagan's got to be favourite right now, and here he comes, the world champion, round the outside. Can anyone follow in his wake? It's a wrestling match between himself and everybody else, and it is going to be the Rainbows that hit the line first. Second yesterday, first today. That's what Sagan's about. When he gets rough, he gets tough, and often he gets even, and that was a superb finish was it classic Sagan in the last uh, 100 yeah, metres or so yeah I think it was I mean he's just I mean, he's just incredible I mean he, he always puts himself in the right position he never seems to be involved in those crashes and you know he's he's probably still wasn't the fastest sprinter out of those when you, when you see DeMar coming in and those guys Christoph, yet he still manages to get the result and I think it's just a mark of just how good he is at the moment within the sport and he's kind of Bigger than the sport at the moment, in my eyes, and uh, you know, long may it continue, really, because it needs got, people like him. Got a real X factor about him. Is there anyone yeah. else that can win the green jersey, Molly? I think you never rule anyone out, and you don't want anything happening out. I mean, last mm. year would have said he would have won it as well, and then obviously got disqualified. So I think you can't say he's won it, but it's hard to see past him because yeah. he can win the intermediate sprints on the stages that pure sprinters can't, um, and he's even the semi sprinters. He's stronger than most of them, so it's kind of. It's his to lose almost, I think. Let's move on to the big cycling news of the week then. Chris Froome has been cleared by the UCI of doping violations after being over the permitted salbutamol levels at the Vuelta. The World Anti-Doping Agency confirmed that while one of Froome's urine samples did exceed the permitted levels, it was satisfied that it did not constitute an adverse analytical finding. Uh, Former WADA scientist Ken Fitch says the test's not reliable, so... Is it not fit for purpose? Well, apparently not. That's what they say. I mean, um, and apparently it hasn't been for a while and apparently this and apparently that. And, you know, it's kind of everyone's coming out now and giving these kind of opinions and um, the just the, the confusion it adds to the whole case is just, I mean, there's so much noise out there at the moment on in, on social media and in the news and it's really difficult to, to to get to the root of it as to what the actual facts are. But I think from what I can make out, the only thing we really know is Chris was given, uh, from what I heard this morning, it wasn't even an adverse analytical finding. It didn't even go to that stage. You know, he was asked to explain himself, which he, he got given due process in order to do that. And he was cleared by the people that run our sport and our, you know, the doping agency to race. And that's all we know. And I think... Other than that, you have to respect the fact that he's allowed to race. And I think, you know, he should be allowed to race in a safe environment because, you know, he's getting all sorts of abuse and stuff at the moment. And, um, you know, I think that no athlete deserves to ride under that that amount of, you know, have his safety questioned at the world's biggest sporting event. And without the leak, we, we wouldn't know. Well, we wouldn't even know about it, no. Which... Has, has that inadvertently, has the leak shone a light on something that well, isn't yeah. right in the sport? I, I mean, I think so, but that's the nature of everything now, I think. Things get leaked, you know. People are always out to. I, 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 for a start, I don't think it would have been leaked. Had it not been Chris Froome, it wouldn't have been leaked. We wouldn't have heard about it. Someone saw an opportunity there, whoever it may be, one of the big organisations, one of the big players, one of the big, you know, parties in this case, um, maybe did it to get one over on someone else or, you know, to, to make happen what has happened, you know, since it was announced last December, whenever it was. And it has big. It has overshadowed the sport all year. It's been the biggest news story, uh, running side by side with the sport at every event. But the decision's made now, and he's in the Tour de France, and he's in with a shout of winning his fifth Tour de France. So. What will it do to him? Do you think? Well, earlier in the year, I thought it might actually have an effect on him, but he's been. Uh, he's managed to rise above it, stay pretty dignified through the whole thing, and 
won a historic Giro d'Italia. And I wouldn't put it past him to, to, you know, certainly to try and to win the Tour de France here. I mean, he's still, for me, the favourite to win the Tour de France. Um, and, you know, he's, he's proved in the past that he can deal with whatever's thrown at him. How do you see it, Molly, that all, all that's been thrown at Froome and, and yet he still proves that he's, he's a rider of top quality? Yeah, I think for me it shows his strength as an athlete. I think I mm. thought the same before the Giro. I thought, I don't see how he's going to be on on form and how he's going to have been able to train through this and because I think as an athlete I thought the mental sort of ramifications of that and even the disruption to, to training to you know it must have been actually a difficult time to prove your innocence you have to put work into that but I think you know I would have found it really difficult to keep training at the same level and so I think it does really show his strength and like personality to be able to keep going like you know he was there on stage getting booed and he just rides yeah. the wave of that and he, he takes it in his stride almost and he's very dignified in it. It's, Why do you think he's been acquitted and other rider, riders haven't been so lucky? Well, obviously, they've got resource. You know, he's got the financial resource. He's in the biggest team in the world. And, you know, I think there was some criticism launched at him for having financial backing in order to, to pursue this. But... Ultimately, that came against him. It got leaked into the public domain, which he shouldn't have done. And as an athlete, he wanted to clear his name. So, of course, he's going to, if he's innocent of something or he feels he's innocent of something, as he said all along, he's going to throw whatever he can at it to clear his name. And I think he's every right to be able to do that. And the team have supported him because they obviously backed him and, and you know, trusted him and knew um, that he hadn't done anything wrong. So, I don't see that as a criticism of them, really. I mean, this day and age, you know, it, it costs money to get a legal team. It costs money to get experts. And with something that we're told is as complicated as, you know, the salbutamol taste test, it's not black and white. You know, you need you need good experts to invalidate the test to show that, the, you know, that you could have an, uh, you know something like this come up in your urine. So, you know, he's managed to do that. And in some ways, he's now set a precedent if someone does you know, going this Tour de France for Salbutamol, he's already proved that you can undermine the test. He's obviously under instruction from doctors, that kind of thing. Um, he's, he's taking what he's told to take. What is it like to be told, to put your trust in a doctor, that they are saying, this is what you should be taking, and then mm. and then it goes the wrong way, and that you're accused of things like this with Froome? Well, I mean, at the end of the day... Like I say, he said he upped his dose, didn't he, in the, in that tour of Spain? And but he still was within the, you know the amount of puffs he would have had to have taken to have that much level of salbutamol in his in his urine. But what he has done is he's is he's proved that you didn't have to take that much salbutamol. That this could you know occur naturally. Obviously, dehydration was thrown in. The numbers come down quite a bit. I mean, obviously, what you've got to remember as well is. We only knew what we were being told at the time, and that 2,000 micros, whatever, it got thrown about quite a bit. And actually, it wasn't 2,000 from what, from what I've read this morning. It was actually quite a, a significantly lower with you know correction and, and um, dehydration thrown in and things like that. So, again, we didn't know what the... We're not in... You know, don't know what the facts are. So it, Which seems a mess, doesn't it? That all these figures are being put yeah, out there. And obviously the, the hysteria and the, you know, the people, you know, sensationalising things, that there's something... You know, untoward going on. It all adds weight to 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 this craziness. And I think now we're kind of in hand of some of the facts that have been put out there, what people have told us. But I think what what is what's I think more now the issue is kind of there's almost like there's there's something whether it's UCI and uh, Wild or whether they're communicating ASO because of all all the how this what I think what led to um, him being cleared. Was was more of a because we you know heard nothing for eight or nine months and all of a sudden it all happens within a day, you know ASO say don't want him at the race next day it's all over so you know could that decision have been made earlier apparently not because they didn't submit their findings till the fourth of June and all this so it's um, I say it's just a mess it's just it's, do you think, I think also there with you saying how does it feel to put your trust in the doctor I think it's more how does it feel to put your trust in a system that this is now proved inherently flawed. So not, okay, he needs to take that medication, that's something that he needs to take to be able to perform at this level. And it's then highlighted this flaw in actually the testing of that. Yeah, and did they already know that the the test was flawed? Apparently they may have already known that months ago, but didn't say anything about it. So I think there's there's more questions, not so much on Chris. At the end of the day, Chris is the athlete, and this could have happened to anyone. Um, But But people might leap on that, that, that 
Team Sky, the anti-Team Sky thing, their credibility yeah, damaged but, by all I of mean, this? It's, in some ways, it's nothing to do with Team Sky at this stage. This was an athlete, and he, the athlete has got to explain himself. The team are informed. The team would have asked Chris questions to begin with. Chris would have said, absolutely not, this is what I did. They trust him, and so the team have supported him through it. This isn't, you know, th- again, this could have happened to, to in any someone else in any other team. we don't know who it has happened to. And we don't to. know who it has happened to. Apparently yeah. there's loads of them. Mm. But more, if anything, because it was Team Sky, it got leaked because it adds weight to everything else, you know, this anti-Team Sky thing. And Yeah, and that's part of the thing when people are saying, how come Chris Froome got away with it and other people haven't? We don't know how many hundreds potentially yeah. in the period between the last person who, who got a ban for it. And not just in It's never been leaked, you know? I mean, is it? So. What are his chances, do you think, Molly, in the race this year? I would have said before he lost a minute, <laughs> I would have said he was the hot favourite. Now I think... For me, he's probably still the favourite, but I think it's going to be a much harder battle because that was almost time that's been given away quite early on. Um, but I think, obviously, it's a bit of a question mark over coming off the Giro. Is that going to have worked, that plan of building through the Giro and using that to strengthen your tour? Or is doing the double actually not mm. really possible in the modern day? I think only time will tell that, really. How much of a thing is it to come off the Giro for people that are not pro cyclists? Yeah, how I much mean, of a I massive think... effort is that? I think... History shows that it's quite a challenge, and I think that um, the people that have tried it before, it, it's 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 very difficult. I mean, any Grand Tour, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you, not just physically but mentally. And but Chris is a special athlete, and he managed it last year with the Tour and the Vuelta. And as we've said already, you know, he's he's incredibly strong mentally as well. So I think with all this going on, I mean, who knows at this stage? But I think what what's what will be more interesting to see how it plays out is the fact that. Geraint Thomas is still up there. He's at 15 seconds now off the yellow jersey and he's shown that he's capable of winning the Tour this year. He's won the Dauphiné. This time tomorrow night, he could be in yellow after the team time trial. And then Team Sky have got a real problem on their hands in many ways as to which card they play then. Do they then protect that yellow jersey with Geraint Thomas or is there a way for him to get back in the race later down the line? So at this stage, I think... All the focus is on Chris at this moment. They've been a minute down this, but everyone's kind of forgetting that Geraint is is pretty much up there. And they they openly said going into the tour that he you know he was going to be kind of have a a second team leader role playing behind Chris. So, okay, we'll be back after a short break to talk about Froome's main rivals for the yellow jersey. Eurosport Player is the only place to watch every minute of the Tour de France live and on demand. Visit eurosportplayer.com now to sign up for your free seven-day trial. Follow every stage of the world's biggest cycling race from every angle with six live camera streams to choose from, plus an uninterrupted ad-free feed and the very best expert analysis and commentary. Let's run through the other GC contenders, starting off with your former teammate, Brad, the Australian Richie Port. Mm. What, what can he achieve in this tour? Well, I think the last few years he's shown he's capable of winning it. I mean, he's certainly got that in him. Um, he's just won the Tour of Switzerland. And I think it's the first year, actually, that he's had a, had a bit of a quieter first part of the year, which has probably helped him now. I think he's in a good place. Obviously, he's just uh, become a father, which sometimes helps, sometimes doesn't, but I think it certainly would have helped him. You know, all being on a par, I think he's the only one who is a better climber than Froome in the mountains, physically more gifted climber. But Chris is good in every other department, time trialling and riding on the flat and things like that, but Richie's probably more of a, a gifted climber than, than Chris. And I know Chris would probably um, f- certainly fear him a little bit in the mountains, but... Obviously, he's got to stay upright. He's got to get through this next week now, the cobble stage, and that will, you know, you would imagine he would suffer a little bit. Some um, people do say, you know, he's, he's got a bad day in him every now and again. Yeah, certainly from a crash point of view and a, and a position in these flat stages, we've seen how, how chaotic it is. So that's the only worry for him is if he comes through unscathed, then he then he's obviously got a very good chance. Molly, at 33, is, is he maybe slightly too old to go and win the Tour or is he in the peak of condition, do we think? Yeah, I don't think he's too old. I think it's one of those things where I think, especially you see it in the Grand Tours, quite often age helps you because you've actually got more endurance than you. You've had more years behind you of it. I think, like you say, he's got to stay upright. He has tends to have bad luck or bad positioning or whatever it is in, in the Tour. But no, I think 
if you look at last year, I think that was his best chance to be up there for the win. Then obviously crashed. I think you'd say he's repeated that form this year. He's probably stronger actually. So mm. his well, best chance. Probably. What do we think of BMC in general? Because you, you need a good team around yeah. you. They've got a fantastic team. Good team yeah, time trial. Really good. Which is good for them. Good support crew, and I think yeah, I mean they're they're probably one one of the best teams on the on the race, definitely. Uh, next GC contender, Roman Bardet from AG2R Le Mondial. Of course, second place 2016. Fell away slightly last year. Everyone will want him to win in France, of course. What are his chances? Uh, yeah, it's just, I'm not too sure whether he's got what it takes to win the Tour. I think just, you know, and 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 beat Froome and, and Port and all these guys on a straight run and Grant Thomas, but he, he's definitely up there and he's the kind of guy that will slip away unexpectedly. I mean, we saw him win a stage a few years ago where he took a lot of time back. And he's one of those guys, really, and he also gets better as the race goes on. So he's another one who needs to stay upright, do well in the time trials because that's always let him down in the past. But you know he'll 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 be there or thereabouts. But whether he's got it in him to actually win or not at this stage because he's still so young. We forget how young he is. I mean he's only twenty six, twenty seven years mm-hmm. of age. And we talk about Richie being thirty three. I mean we kind of imagine when Roman's thirty three or Froome and those guys would have retired by then, and that the, you know he may pick up the the role as as the with the you know, the, the favourite for the Tour de France. He's an exciting rider to watch, isn't he? I was going to say, I think he's probably on the best in terms of the attacking and stuff, but I think that meticulous consistency yeah. to win on a GC, I think maybe he's a little bit too excitable as a rider, but also maybe doesn't have that you know three weeks of, of consistently being there. I think he's potentially going to be one who wins a stage or, or goes in a break or something and takes some time, but... I don't see him winning it. He's definitely one of the most likable as well. Oh, yeah. He's definitely got something about yeah. him off the bike as well. You know, he's for you know as a Frenchman as well. I think a lot. Of, he's kind of the future of French cycling and, and taking that back as the next French Tour winner. And you know, he, he was he's almost playing the role of something bigger than just cycling. You know, he, he's what France have been looking for for thirty years. And you know, he's a, he's he's a stylish lad off the bike, and he's he's certainly got a personality and. He'd be a great winner of the Tour one day. You both mentioned his time trialling. Um, you must have been told in your careers things to go away and work on. How do you go away as a professional cyclist, work on something and, and not take away from what you are known for, your strengths? Mm. I mean, that's quite difficult, obviously, but then that's the nature of the Tour de France is you've got to be good in every area and department. But working on you know time trial and getting better at time trial, a lot of those things now, a lot of the gains are made in the air, in the wind tunnels and you know the kind of material they're using and the, the you know the equipment and and so people a lot of people are looking over the, especially the distances the time trials are now. It'd be very easy to just to tweak a few things and gain forty seconds as as opposed to trying to get stronger and gain ten watts on your threshold. So I think there are there are very small things you could changes you can make and actually gain a lot of time. So I think that's where a lot of people are working on. Mm. Um, let's move on Vincenzo Nibali from Bahrain Merida a team very much built around him this mm. year is is it his year? well he had his year didn't he, he won it but um, he's you just can never discount him he's just he's, again he's one of the most exciting riders in terms of when he never gives up um, when you think he's done and dusted and he's out of the race he, he comes back fighting and I think that's the beauty of him is you you He's never finished riding, and I think he, he'll if he's got it or got something, he'll he'll definitely light the race up. Seems a good reader of a situation. Seems to react to what's happening on the yeah, road. Yeah, I think he's also one who could profit from the Rebay stage. He like yeah. tends to be he's one of the riders who tends to take time there, where others maybe lose the tour there. I think, especially in the year 2014, I think it was where he actually maybe won the tour there. I think it was he can be one who profits from situations where others are, are losing time. Um, let's move on. Now, this this could take a while with Movistar, a three pronged attack of Valverde, Landa, Quintana. Mm. Who is the leader there? Given what's happened in the first two stages, Quintana losing time, Valverde right up there at the end of stage two. Do they know who their leader is? Have they changed their mind? I'm sure they probably do, but I mean, it's for me, it's Landa. It's got to be Landa. You know, he's. Um... He proved last year that the tour is kind of made for him in many ways, and his style of riding. In some respects, Quintana. I guess the, I've always thought the tour isn't hard enough for him. He's definitely someone who can win the Giro and has won the Giro. And the nature of the Giro, we saw Chris this year. You know how much time you can take in that last week. Just how brutal each stage is in that last week. You, you tend to not get that with the tour. It's a very set pattern to the tour. So Lander, for me, the tour is made for Lander. Perhaps not so much for Quintana. And I guess Valverde is 
Never like to say, but he's probably a bit past winning the tour now, but he'll certainly be there or thereabouts, play a part, maybe win a stage and be incredibly valuable to those two guys. Yeah, I think also with the mechanical of Quintana, it showed that either they have no leader or he's not the leader because no one waited for him there. So, But I also think, I think it's Lander. And I think they probably internally have a hierarchy, but my opinion is why tell people who it is because yeah, exactly. your GC leader has a target so you may as well spread that target three ways mm. and make it make people you know have to guess uh, move on to Sunweb and uh, Michael Matthews is in there of course they'll look after him in the first yeah. week and then Tom Dumoulin as well from the outside it looked as though Tom probably went quite deep in the Giro in order to stay where he was and um, he rode a fantastic Giro but again it, we were talking about can people back up from the Giro and replicate that at the Tour Tom's still relatively young and this is the first time he's doing it yet. And I guess we probably won't know the answer to that until we get into the mountains as to where he is. Um, Matthews, I mean, he's a class act, isn't he? And, I'm, I'm, I, you know, you'd say he'd win a stage at some point during this race. So I guess they're definitely kind of split there. The way they structure their team in these stages is we'll keep, certainly keep one eye on Tom and keep him up there. But um, at the same time, they'll, they'll want to guarantee something out of this tour with a, with a stage win. Yeah, I think they have a two-pronged attack, which is always better than having one option. But yeah. I think, yeah, it's right with Demoulin. It could go either way. I think if he comes really good off the t- off the Giro, then I think he could be a, a real challenger because obviously the time trial and the team time trial. Um, and it's this tour's probably a good one for him but yeah he has to back it up and I'm not sure if he has that yet Dan Martin UAE team Emirates someone who's always there or thereabouts it seems to me always there scrapping what a chance does he have this year I think he's got a very good chance actually Dan he's really kind of I know he's got lots of results over the years but he's kind of the, he's changed teams again and he you know again he looks happy there he had a good Dauphiné and this could be his year where he kind of, you know, approaching 30, if not already 30 years of age. And you talk about that experience and that age. And, you know, this could be his defining tour now. And I think... Um, Is a podium possible? I definitely think so, Dan, with Dan, yeah. I mean, he was unfortunate one last, say, year last year in the Ritchie crash, wasn't yeah. he, where he got caught behind that. And that almost, you know, I think he rode the last week. The you watch how, back he, or, how he rode after that. You think so, he was on for no chance yeah. of avoiding that for him no, at all, was there? No, and I think so. I think definitely this tour is kind of... Could be his breakthrough one in terms of getting on the podium. Just stay away from Richie Port, maybe. Well, I mean, now this it, it was it was such a freak accident, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, you know, it just shows you the luck you need. We saw it years ago with Armstrong crossing the field, and you know, had Richie been two places up and Froome been on his wheel, you could have took the yellow jersey out. So, you know, a six seven man group, and that happens. It's uh, it was a bit of a freak accident. Let's look at the man who did very well last year, Rigoberto Oran of Education First Drapak, or powered by Canada, whatever the full title of the team Garmin, is. It's so long. Garmin, Garmin, it's incre- Greenwich. Incredibly long title. Um, had a stage win, a second place last year, yeah. of course. Are we expecting repeat performance, or was that a one off for him last um, time? I, I wouldn't have thought he'd, he'd. I mean, you can never discount him, Rigoberto. I mean, he's been up there in the Giro twice before as well, but, you know, again, that kind of flash performance like that you would say that he he wouldn't be necessarily capable of it again but there are other people put in front of him that I would I would put on the podium before I'd put Rigoberto but he's he's going to be there or thereabouts again and and you know we lost Richie last year and obviously lost Dan Martin as well through that crash so you know people profit from those crashes and move on it was when we saw all the crashes in 2014 with Contador and this and 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 Nibali and I mean it was the breakthrough of, of Roman Bardet that year so Crashes are a big part of the race and people profit from that and um, jump up the rankings. But all being well, I can't see him being on the podium this year. Let's turn to another big British hope, Adam Yates of Mitchelton Scott. He'll be hoping to be as dominant as his brother Simon was in the Giro, but to go one further and last the full distance. He's got a great team. What are his chances? Uh, Given what's happened already over the first two stages... What can he go on and achieve, do you think? Well, very good. I mean, again, he's another one outside bet for a podium. Um, I think he's probably a bit beyond him at this stage to maybe win the race. But, we again, we never know. You know, two a weeks ago in the Giro, we thought Simon might win the Giro and then we saw what happened. But he'll be there or thereabouts. I mean, the, the, the thing with Simon and Adam is they're just both so consistent. Whatever race it is, you know, you kind of, they're that consistent that you mix them up sometimes. I was, you know, trying to work out during the Giro which one had been up in the tour before it and they're so so similar in the way they, they race and he'll be there or thereabouts. As I say, they're, they're just so consistent in what they do and 
And resilient too, because he yeah, had a big crash in definitely. March. Yeah. Yeah. Tour of California in April and came out to finish. Crash today as well, Fourth didn't he? Yeah. Saw 25k to go. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're hard little buggers, them two. And I think they'll be, <laughs> they'll, you know, crashes won't put them off and they'll be right up there. What do you make of the team that he has around him? There's there's some big names in that mix. Yeah, I mean, there is yeah. and he has a good mix as well of ones who can help him in the, the crosswinds and the flatter stuff and maybe like the Roubaix stage. And the climbers, so I think he's maybe he's going to be a little bit isolated in the yeah. real climbs. I think it looks like it's weighted a lot to that yeah. first week. That and Nieve more is middle there, mountains and, f- and flat, but he also rode the Giro. So it yeah. just shows you how much sure. impetus they're putting on that first week. You know, in mm. this, you know, as it being perhaps more important. This, let's just get him to the mountains yeah. with as little time loss as possible, and then you know, to hell with teammates kind of thing. Let so. fly. <laughs> and Caleb Ewan left at home, of course, yeah. the yeah. sprinter not there. Mm. That gives them all the more reason to focus on Yates in that first week yeah, where I perhaps they might have got sidetracked. I think that just shows their um, what their plans are for this race. They're putting everything into into Adam for this tour. Yeah, I think he was, if everything goes really perfectly, then he'll podium. But then obviously already these first two stages, he's had some misfortunes, I think. Mm, I think it's outside better for the podium, I would say. Great for British cycling, though, to have the Yates brothers. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. It's just becoming the norm now, isn't it, the Tour de France? I mean, there's we talk about three guys there in Geraint, Chris and Adam who could, you know, maybe not win the Tour, all three of them, but be on the podium, which is, you know, unprecedented, really. So, We've mentioned a number of names for the GC. Is anyone out there in left field that you'd want to mention and say they've got half a chance if things go their way? Uh, I think we've... The tour is quite predictable in many ways, and it's very rare you get a surprise winner. Jakob Fulsang, for instance. Again, yeah, everyone all being well, I can't see him kind of winning the tour, no. but a stage definitely, um, you know, and a surprise, maybe a surprise podium or something. But I think the, the, the favourites are quite clearly defined this year, and that's why it's such a good tour for everyone to watch because it's. It's almost be... like a who's who of GC favourites. Yeah. <laughs> so it's be hard to break. And into everyone's that. healthy for once, yeah. you know. I think. Over the years, you know, get people that such and such has crashed in the run-up or not, you know. So I think it's a, it's a brilliant race this year. Okay, well, we'll take a break now, and in part three, we'll be looking at Cavs' chances of yet another stage victory, and we'll look ahead to the cobbles this week too. Great teams flourish at the Tour de France, and Eurosport have brought a sparkling lineup to the world's premier cycling race. Coverage is fronted by Jonathan Edwards, with analysis from Brian Smith and a host of guests, plus Matt Stevens as race reporter, and the inimitable Carlton Kirby, Rob Hatch and Sean Kelly in the commentary box. So join us for three weeks of unbeatable drama, live on Eurosport. Right, let's talk Mark Cavendish. Cavs on 30 stage wins, he wants four more to equal Eddie Merckx's record in the last 12 months. We all know he's had a series of horrendous crashes, not least the incident with Peter Sagan, which sent him home from last year's tour. Now, he said his shoulder will never be the same again. Will his injuries stop him winning and getting close to that Merck's record, do you think? I wouldn't have said it would stop him. I mean, I saw an interview with him last week where he said, actually, he's in, you know, he's been training like he used to train and there's no sign of the injuries now and he feels ready to go. So I think... You know, I wouldn't put it past him winning a stage. You can, you just can never discount Cav. He's just so kind of ex- he's so experienced now as well at winning stages, and um, he, he might not be the fastest anymore, and he might not have the strongest team to get him there, like the Gaviria's of this world and that. But he'll, you know, get into that second week or the third week where there's a little sprint stage somewhere. He'll certainly be there, and I, you know, again, I wouldn't put it past him to pick up a stage here. Well, you say get to that stage, but he's he's come out and said he's openly scared of the mountains yeah, this time around. But I think I think he's always said that. Every tour you can kind of I don't think there's ever been a year where he said he's not scared, but I think that just shows the kind of the level of, he doesn't take anything for granted, Cav. Certainly at the Tour de France. That's how much kind of respect that he has for this event. And I know how hard he prepares for this event as well. So you know, it's it's what's defined him as an athlete and it's it's what his whole season is about. He he is the Tour de France through and through. So you know he 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 does his homework and he he will know what those stages are about and he'll also have his eye on what stages he can win in this in in this race and i guess after the last few years he's had he'll probably just want to stay upright and out of trouble this first week we mentioned his team molly does it almost not matter that his team might not be that strong given what he's learned over all those stage wins that he can almost do it on his own i wouldn't say it doesn't matter i think it always matters but i think 
there's especially this year there seems to be two generations of sprinters there's the old generation with the calves and the griples and Cattell's a little bit younger but again with him and then there's Gavir and Grona Vegan the younger ones and I think he'll profit like you were saying especially in the mm. latter part of the race he might profit from experience where they've profited from that extra bit of speed off the bat when it comes to the endurance and who's freshest effectively later on and who can keep mentally focused that long I think he might profit from that in the end we spoke about him being genuinely scared he said of the mountains in the Tour de France it does look slightly different for the sprinters this year I mean he's come out and saying some of the stages are the hardest I've seen in my career what I do is a different sport to what Chris Froome does yeah I mean it is like that for a lot of them actually once you get into the mountains and there's a short stage this year in the mountains which pretty much goes straight uphill so I think for a lot of guys, there there is that once you get past this kind of first week, the craziness, you know, you kind of the, sh- the first shuffling of the pack is to see who the favourites are and who's lost time, and you get to those mountains, then the then the separation happens, and you get almost two races, and you you get if you you lose all that fighting in the peloton, and the guys that are in that second half of the peloton, they just know the mountains coming up. I'm not going to try and get into the in the way of everyone who's trying to win the tour. So there is that separation and that that will happen as they get into the mountains, but that's when survival happens then and that takes over for a lot of those sprint guys and Greipel and Kittel as well. I don't think it's Kittel's actually finished the Tour de France yet because the mountains have always been his biggest obstacle. So that's coming up and obviously Cav knows that only too well as he's been there so many times. You must have both seen it. Is there a, a different mood on the morning of a mountain stage? Do the sprinters almost huddle in the corner and <laughs> look worryingly at each other? Yeah, I think also, I think from the TV, you often forget the battle that's going on behind that. Actually, I mean, obviously I've not done the Tour de France, but I've had it in the Giro where I've been one year, I was much fitter than the next year. And I found that one year I was out with the, you know, the first people over the mountains. And obviously you're there in the race and it's a very different dynamic actually more mentally as well as physically mm. and the next year I was in Gripetta in the mountains it's my first ever time in that position and actually it was a much harder battle because psychologically you're on the back foot there and you're you're, you're playing catch up and, and you're almost being you're in a fight with yourself mentally to, to keep going I think it's it's easy to forget that with the TV cameras focusing at the front of the race that yeah it is something to be afraid of probably yeah and I think like you know certainly when we were with Cav in 2012 in the tour in some ways because we were leading the race it made his job of survival a lot easier because he was just thinking about what can I do before the team before I get dropped. So he would be riding through and off on the front and in doing that, surprise himself by getting over mountains that the other sprinters weren't getting over. So there is that kind of mood in the morning where you've got the guys that know they're going to get through the race. The elimination isn't the issue. Uh, It's more a case of how can I perform? Can I get in the break? Can I win the stage? Whereas you've got two or three guys that are inevitably always on that bus that are thinking, I might be going home tonight. <laughs> and they've been thinking about this for a while and you know they might have had a bad day the day before, not had a good night's sleep and you've woken up and you think, still got a week to go of this. So that's when the mental side of the Tour de France takes over, more than the physical side, because you think you've, got two, you've done two weeks of hard racing, you might have crashed twice, you might have not had a few sleepless nights with bandages and sticking to the sheets and all that. You've still got a week to go. And you've got to get through this mountain stage today. And, it, and that's where psychologically people then just think, well, okay, maybe I'm not going to get through today. So that that's is the tough. battle right there. That is the battle right there, yeah. And I suppose, as you said, in 2012, Cav had that focus that maybe took his mind off the true horror of going over these mountain passes day on um, day. Yeah, and I think, as I said, he, he doesn't take anything for granted either. So sometimes he underestimates just how well he's going. And, and sometimes you need a bit of reassurance from the people around you. And, and he quite often gets that from Bernard Eisel, who's, who's always there with him. And, and Bernie will say, you know, God, we were at the back today and Cav was dropping me. I had to keep shouting for him to see, you know, and, and there have been times and there'd be times where Bernard Eisel's dropping Cav and, and so they stick together and they get through it together and they just, they, they, what they do is they, they, they're so experienced at it and Bernie would quite often call the shots that, okay, we can lose 20 minutes on this climb to the Chris Frooms of this world, but when we get to the top, we have got to go down that descent as fast as we can, take as many risks and try and gain three or four minutes on the Chris Froome and everyone else that are going. So then they get into the valley and they've already gained four minutes back of that 20 that they lost. So then they know they hit the next climb where we can lose another 15 now at this climb, gain another five going down the other side, and then we can lose 10 minutes up the last climb and that will put us in the time delay. And that's what's constantly going through their their mind is that 
assessing and calculating just how much time they can lose during the stage and it's it's an art form because aside from suffering and everything you've got someone's got to be working all this out in their head and working out what the winner's time is going to be that day you know if it's gonna be six hours translating that into minutes working out 15 percent of the winner's time based on the minutes they finish that means we need to finish within 45 minutes we've got six hours 45 minutes to finish and that's just who's doing that bernard eisel normally does it and he's brilliant at it and I think he's got a GCSE in maths. I'm sure he has because I can never work it out. But he's uh... so he's there almost. Is he is he talking out loud saying right? Well, oh, he is this... to his teammates and Cavan everyone, or, or everyone just knows that he will lead that Gruppetto. So he will he will sort of they'll be going up the climb. Someone will panic a little bit and ride too fast, and the group will split. And he will call them back and say, "No, a lot easier because we need to stay together." There's 30 of us, and when we go down that descent, 30 of us can make a more more of a difference on the three leaders than if we're in ones and twos. So there is a, you know, there is an element of trust and that, and everyone trusts Bernard because he's done it so many times. I've got an image of him borrowing the blackboard off the time gap. No, but he, just he won't necessarily borrow, but he'll be constantly talking to the blackboard. What's the time? What's the time gap? And sometimes, you know, if he's calculated that we can lose twenty minutes and they lose fifteen minutes, then he's like, brilliant. We we was five minutes in there, so I've gained five minutes, so we can actually lose a bit more on the next time now. So the, the, there's that constant calculation going on throughout the race. And then do you almost hold back? You go, we've got five minutes grace, we can just not go... No, they, I think they tilt. will They will still because, you know, you don't. You, you want to... That's a worst-case scenario, the calculation. So if you're up on that, then it's, it's beneficial to be up on it. But going back to what I was saying with Cav, Cav will then get reassurance from, from Bernie that we're all OK and we're fine and we stick together. Because, you know, you, 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 there is, say, everyone who's been dropped, there is quite a good camaraderie between everyone that yeah we're all suffering and we've all been dropped so let's just stick together and, what if and that's not definitely there? the two races going on yeah. there you've got that race at the back and then that race at the front so it's what if he what if he's not there? well he's always there <laughs> he's always there but if he's not there then someone someone, someone else on the role, yeah. will often take it's, it's someone almost probably a matthew Heyman or someone like that another really experienced rider and yeah let's look at the green jersey candidates starting with favorite peter sagan of bora hansgrove of course, stage two, he did what Peter Sagan does and, and made it look, mm. uh, look well, almost easy at the end. We saw him in that intermediate sprint today where he, you know, he beat DeMar and he beat the other guys. And so straight away, he's got a bucket load of points already in that green jersey competition. And that competition's really changed the last few years since the invention of that, that intermediate time sprint. There's one each day now. There used to be two or three, and it was for a lot less points. So... That's almost a sprint finish in itself for that competition, and he's he won both today. So I think he's he's straight away at the top of the pile, and it, and it looks like that he's now going to go on as he has done in previous years to make that his own. And that those mad mountain days where he goes up the road in a break and <laughs> any little fancy climb in the finish, which you know you would never discount him on. So has he got something to prove after last year, Molly? Do you think with his disqualification? I think he's probably won enough. That he's got not got much to prove. I think they probably think, did that with the third world yeah. title. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think he's already done that. Yeah, he's ticked that box. I think it's his to lose, though. It always is. In, in the modern day, it's been his yeah. to lose. I think he's he's got to be the favourite. I mean, he's the by far the strongest of the sprinters who can get over a decent climb. He and he goes in the brace, not afraid to mix it up. He's exciting again, and and a team built around him as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all yeah. about him, isn't it? And, yeah. Aside from his his aura, because he's Peter Sagan, he's well respected, and but his his size and bulk when he's there. I mean, Cav came off worse last year when we saw what Cav tried to get past mm. him, and you know, Peter's one of the very few riders in the modern day that you know, if you find yourself near him, you kind of okay, there's Sagan, I'll let him through because you know he's a world champion, and so he's one of the few that can kind of almost say ride anywhere in the peloton, but he you know he certainly. You know, realise it's Peter, and well, okay, I won't put my, I'll let yeah. Peter through, and then I won't let you through. So it's just that he has that kind of rite of passage, really. And and as I say, he'll, it, it's a joy to watch actually. The next, you know, when he starts taking off into those breaks, and uh, let's talk about Katusha Alpsin because they're one of the few big teams. They've not put all their eggs in the sprint basket, the GC camp. They've got an option for each with Marcel Kittel, Ilnia Zakarin, big sprint train as well. They have, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but Cattell's yeah. not been performing so well this year. I think he's one who needs a clean sprint, and he needs to have that. He's also one who needs confidence, and I think I don't know whether it's a new team that maybe he's not as confident in the lead out train, or he's just not had that raw power. I'm not sure, but 
he hasn't really been out there this year. So I think it's going to no. be. Is that something you can learn if you're if you're a, let's say a, almost a one-dimensional winner? He needs a clean sprint, as you say. Can you go and learn how to win in other ways, or are some riders just well, not I don't, capable I just of think that? Some riders just they don't like the argy bargy, and I know Greipel was the same a lot a few years ago. You know, when it was in the same same team as him, he. You know, if it started getting a bit rough and that, he just he he wasn't he couldn't be bothered with that kind of thing. He just wants to train, and I want to be left off, and then my sprint will win. And, and it's not about who I've elbowed before that to win. So I think some guys just they don't like that. Some guys love it. Gaviria is definitely one who's kind of in and out and bouncing heads off people, and but some of them just just like a straight run at things, and and that's just I think the way they are really, the way they they built up, and and in some ways they probably don't want to crash because they think well I could win a stage tomorrow, so. You know, and, and the way the sprint finishes are now, you just a moment's hesitation, you lose five places and you're out of it. So it's now become who's the youngest, who's the craziest, who's willing to take more risks. And we've certainly seen that the last two days. Uh, you mentioned Gavriel a moment ago. His team, Quick Step Floors, most race wins in the World Tour this year. As we said, lots of flat stages. He's made an impressive start, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, the best start, isn't it? I mean, he's... Uh... First stage he's ever ridden. Won it and yeah. a yellow jersey. <laughs> and for him now, that's a successful tour, you know. So I think really he he can he can go away. And well, say, you would say that. I mean, it's, it takes the pressure off straight away. It's an insurance policy now for the rest of the race that they've already got stage win and took the yellow. He'll be hungry for more. So, won't he? Yeah, of course he will. And whatever happens now is a bonus. Every other stage he wins, but you know, there's there's not that kind of constant getting second, third, and think, we well, still ain't one, am I, is that stage win going to come? You know, he's, he's definitely got off. And obviously he was caught up in that crash today, which you'd have said he'd have been there in that final. Yeah, and also there's a big question mark over him. A lot of stuff I read about in the media before this tour was, is he going to be able to repeat his success in the Giro at the tour? It's a different beast and he's mm. not done it before. And will he be able to, to cope with those finishes? And then he's answered those questions. Yeah. Stage one. So like you say, pressure's off and it's, he can just ride the wave of it now and he'll hope for more wins, obviously, but... It must put you on, you know, the confidence must be sky high from not only winning a stage, but putting on that yellow jersey. They're not going to win the tour, these guys we were talking about, these sprinters. So the jersey for them in that first week is success because there's not many opportunities for sprinters to get the yellow jersey if there was a prologue or a time trial. Tomorrow's the team time trial. Quickstep are very good at that, so he, you know, he may get back into the jersey, but the chances are it will go away from him now and then they'll hit the mountains, he'll lose time, so... This may be the only time he ever takes the yellow in the Tour de France, and he took it for one day. So Let's end with a quick look at this week's route. Lots of flat stages, as we've mentioned, for the sprinters, until we get to stage nine and the cobbles of Arras and Roubaix. We'll talk about that stage in a moment. You touched on the team time trial there. How key is it, and how different is it with one less team member than usual? Well, I think it's going to be challenging for everyone, but I think by seeing the build-up, I think everyone's put their home, done their homework with this, and... We've seen in the start list that there's a the way the teams are constructed. They've thought about this event because it's so important for them, and um, it has now. You know, it's becoming more and more popular. Team time trial, and now you know amongst race organisers, is certainly in men's and women's cycling. Yeah. There's a lot more team time trials now, so I think people are having to think about it a lot more now. We did sort of disappear for many years the team time trial, whereas now this seems like every year they have one in the Dauphiné just before here. So. And there's normally one of the Giro and the Vuelta. So it's it's becoming, again, more of a theme now in these things. You can't win the Tour on a team time trial, but could one of the GC contenders potentially put themselves out of it? An unprepared team to a team like Team Sky that you, you would imagine have done their homework, the equipment is right, fine-tuned. A minute, a minute's loss easy on the team time trial. I teams like BMC and Sky, where their leaders have lost a bit of time through misfortune these two stages, it's a chance for them yeah, to definitely. limit their losses and actually just gain that, make the playing field level again, just gain that time back effectively. Stage nine, that is a stage where there could be big losses for GC contenders. 15 cobbled sections... If you were competing, how would you have uh, looked at that stage? What would you have thought of it before Well, lot, I think it? a lot of them have already been and looked at that in April and some of them have even done Paris-Roubaix with their, their respective teams this year in April. So, And it's not the first time. I think it's becoming a, an annual thing now is the cobbles. So I think a lot of people have, have continued to go back. You know, this isn't a one-off and it is become, it's almost becoming normal in the tour now to have a cobbled stage. So... And a lot of the sectors they would have done in the last few tours. You know, I think the last time we had a couple stage, Tony Martin won the stage. So, you know, I don't think we'll ever see a stage like we had in 2014 with the rain. I was going to say, it's very weather dependent, isn't it? But that obviously blew the race to pieces and, you know, a dry stage 
will have less impact as as that rain stage did, but it still must be nonetheless. So tough, it's, it's nothing. So tough. It's not one you can take for granted. A puncture at the wrong time, you know, a mishap, a crash, you know, someone could lose two minutes again. So if you look back historically, it tends to be except for that one year where it was the weather was just horrific. I mean, Froome was out before they even hit cobbles, so it was kind of that was irrelevant yeah. in that context. It tends to be the place where at least one GC rider loses the tour rather than it's won there. So either yeah, you can puncture, you can mechanical, someone crashes. I think it's the day you'll see someone lose it rather than yeah. someone winning it. I think that's what this first week's all about, really. Is it is you know you could you could have lost the, the, the tour in this first week with the cobbles, with the team time trial, with crashes. More than one particular stage being, you know, the the, vic, the, the culprit of that. You know, if you have a disastrous first week, you can find yourself five minutes down. Um, if you, you know, in a Francis de Jure, like, you know, Pinot or something like that, you know, it's uh, more more important than the mountains this first week because the mountains will take care of themselves if you're fit and you're ready and you can climb. But this first week's probably where you will lose the tour. Okay. Thank you both. Uh, that's all for this inaugural episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. Sounded uh, like it was your show. <laughs> no, no, it's your name. Look at the picture of your face. Yeah, <laughs> next week, they put in your ear. So. No chance. Uh, it's a very busy weekend of sport next week, but do make sure you join us next Monday to look back on the Roubaix cobbles and everything else that the tour has thrown up. This has been a Muddy Knees media production for Eurosport. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Can we say it's coming home as well? It's coming home. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Visit Eurosport.com and the Eurosport app for an unrivaled Tour de France experience. Watch live, uninterrupted video streams of the entire race with a host of extra features. There's up-to-the-minute live blogging and analysis from Felix Lowe, Global Cycling Network's nightly race review, and in-depth breakdowns of the biggest stages in how the race was won. Plus comprehensive news, race clips, and the best of Eurosport's live coverage... Eurosport.com is the only place you need to be throughout La Tour. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.